Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at Hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Most of today's discussion, we focused primarily on the Feast Trumpets and its symbolisms and the the lessons behind them and what we're supposed to learn from them in order to better apply. Move my camera around a little bit, make some room here, make my notes, better apply uh, what he's taught us and how to live and how to make wise and good choices for life. So as we are aware, those of you who have covered the Feast of Trumpets in the past and have been studying this topic many years, uh, Feast of Trumpets, of course, is one of the several appointed times uh, appointed times, of course, are times which God had set aside intending for us to be there at those appointed times. And whether or not, of course, we choose to come or not, that's our responsibility, not his. Um, we are, it's our responsibility to say, okay, yes, I'm going to meet you at your point in time. I believe it was uh, a couple of weeks ago, somebody had asked the question regarding God's appointed times and when or what they're supposed to be and how we're supposed to, uh, to, to observe or, if, or what they mean, that kind of thing, and the purpose behind them. And I had at that time likened it to you have a doctor's appointment and you fail to show up. Uh, it is not uh, the doctor's fault that you failed to show up at your appointment. It is your fault. <laughs> so guess what? You get charged anyway. Because he said it's time, time aside and, and you didn't show up. So these are all the various ty- point of times. Uh, they obviously, as we mentioned before, include the beginning of uh, the, 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 the first of the year, which back in August or uh, April, uh, March, April time period. And that time period where the year starts, that is the holiday season year begins in spring. And of course, first holiday season it begins as it goes through its sequence. You go through obviously Passover, which is recorded in Exodus, as well as uh, the, the four Gospels. And, and then we have uh, the, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, also discussed in Exodus, as well as Corinthians and a few other areas in the Gospels too. As far as how important they are to both God, to Messiah, and to all the apostles and to the people and all those who are descendants of Abraham, that they are intended to be observed at their appointed times, as God had told Adam, where are you? Why are you not here? When he comes at the appointed time to meet Adam, and Adam was hiding. So it's important that we understand when God says, you're supposed to be here because I am. That is our responsibility to be there because he is. And he doesn't come seek us out. He says, where are you? More accurately, he, the, the, the Hebrew phrase means, why are you not here? Is a more accurate statement he gave to Adam. So that tells us that when God views his appointed times, it's more of a first person, Joe Shmuley, or in this case, Daniel Agee, why are you not here? Is a more accurate phrase or terminology when he says, these are my appointments. You better make them. So this is one of the appointments that happens to be Feast of Trumpets, which is the first day of the seventh month. And that is the declaration of the, the, the great blasts. And those of you who have shofars, we're going through them today. My kids have all been excited because they, they'll have theirs all out and ready to go soon. But we'll get them to be patient. Um, we're going to start out our, our basic uh, instruction, basic overview. This is very, very basic, by the way. This is not in great detail on, on everything because uh, there's the Feast of Trumpets happens to have an abundance 
of information and symbolism built into our Tanakh and our New Testament uh, authors and what they wrote about it. And it is far beyond what can be covered in a simple Zoom meeting of an hour, an hour and a half. Uh, it is in which, which books are written about. These trumpets is one of the most talked about, the most um, written about, I say not, it's one of, it's not the most, it's just one of the most. Uh, second, I think only to Passover itself. So let's see here. We have uh, Leviticus 23, of course, where the instruction begins, Feast of Trumpets. Feast of Trumpets is Leviticus 23. Uh, it's, it's a brief few verses there. It does not describe much about it here, but we have to read it just to understand what it means. God had commanded these things to be read and, and, and taught by the people. So Leviticus 23, which lists all the holy days, uh, but it also lists trumpets, and we're narrowed down to trumpets portion itself for Yom Teruah. So Leviticus 23, it starts out in verse 23. At least the trumpets portion does. Uh, then Jehovah spoke to Moses, saying, Speak the children of Israel, and saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Shabbat rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You should do no customary work on it. You should offer an offering made by fire to Jehovah. So that instruction obviously is our, our, our primary uh, introduction to the, the Feast Trumpets. Oh, yes, Jeff had just put it out the chat list here that. There are multiple recordings and multiple uh, uh, sessions we've discussed and done for Feast Trumpets. There's just one of many. So you can walk to go through any one of them and you get an a earful of lots and lots and lots of information. So you can look, look, look at our webpage whenever you wish or at your, at your leisure. And then we also have, uh, let's see, where is it? Uh, oh, right. So the Feast Trumpets. Oh, he has it put up on your screen. For those who have a screen, he's, he's displaying it as far as uh, uh, the things that you can play and, and what's on there for the various uh, tour portions and such. Uh, the, trumpets the trumpets themselves, though most of his own shofars, which are ram's horns, either short ones or long ones. The long ones aren't actually from a ram. They're actually from like a, a deer type of animal. Um, but anyway, the, the ram's horn was the most common one and uh, they came from the rams or the, the sheep more accurately uh, from, the, from the time period in the Middle East. The Middle East sheep, yes. Jeff has a long one displayed on his, on his screen. Hey, uh, oh, here's a, no, that's not one. Where's, can I borrow your shofar? Show those a small one. Ah. Jeff has a large one being shown. That comes from a deer type animal, like a gazelle, essentially, or something like a gazelle. It's not actually called that. It's from Africa. Uh, and that's a fairly, fairly decent sized one. Some of us have these smaller ones which are actually from a sheep or a ram type species. Deborah's video has one being displayed. They're various shapes and the various sizes. Um, these obviously from sheep species versus the, the uh, 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 deer species. And the whole purpose behind them is to make a great sound, a great blasting. Uh, and the purpose of the blasting naturally is to get your attention. So the Feast of Trumpets more specifically does not solely or exclusively focus upon the ram's horn, it focuses more upon the trumpet itself. So in the trumpet, uh, you have, the trumpet is actually a metal trumpet recorded, written down as far as how to make it in Numbers chapter 10. So Numbers 10 discusses the metal trumpets, that were, the feast is, is more specific, not yet, not yet. Uh, uh, you can fetch there in the, they're in the shed. She's going to fetch a silver trumpet. Um, they are described in how they are made in Numbers 10, verses 1 through 10. Again, we're not going to cover these great in detail. We should cover this as an overview of the basics of trumpets. So Numbers 10, verse, verse 1, it says, And Yovah spoke to Moses, saying, Make two silver trumpets for yourselves. 
You should make them of hammered work. You should use them for calling the assembly and for directing movements of the camps. When they blow both of them in the, the, the long blow, they, both the assembly should gather before you in the door of the tabernacle meeting. If they blow only one long blow, then the leaders of the heads of divisions of Israel shall gather to you. If when you sound the short blasts, the, the advancements of the camp shall lie on the east, that side shall then begin their journeys. When you sound the short blasts the second time, then the camps that lie on the south shall begin their journeys. They shall sound the call for them to begin their journeyings. When the congregation is to be gathered together, you shall blow long blasts, but not sound the short blasts. The sons of Aaron and the chief priests shall blow the trumpets and a and these shall be to you as an ordinance forever throughout your durations. When you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets. And when you and when sorry, and you'll be remembered before Jehovah your God, and you'll be saved from your enemies. Also in the day of your gladness, by the way, that means today. And your appointed feasts, which is today. At the beginning of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings, over your sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be as a memorial for you before you have, before God, for I am Jehovah, your God. So the instructions on the silver trumpets themselves, and that is the intent or the objective of trumpets. It is focused upon the metal ones, although we use our, our, our ram's horn ones, which is traditionally used as well, and there's nothing wrong with the ram's horn version. Uh, most of us do not own metal ones. Uh, example of ram's horn that, that's available to us. So before we begin in much detail regarding trumpets, I uh, hope you, well, I won't go to, but we'll, we'll, we'll read about these a bit. We go through all seven of them discussed in the, uh, in, in the Revelation story regarding trumpets. We'll have an opportunity to blast them, those of you who have them, uh, at that time. That's our intent, at least my intent, at least. We'll go through all seven of them. So before we go into all these, these stories of trumpets and, and how they are used, and we have to understand the nature of them, short blasts, the long blasts, and, and other, everything else in between them, as far as what, what they can be used for. So before we go into too much detail, uh, I want to get the basically cover a basic uh, overview on the, how they're used. So the fall feasts focus typically our attention upon future events. So this has been discussed many times for throughout the, 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 the years and generations, actually, that the spring feasts, which obviously focus upon Passover, the feast of bread, uh, the first fruits, and then, of course, in the summer feast, which includes Shavuot, and that is the cycle of the seven countings. All of those different feasts correlate to events, both physical and spiritual, that have, that have happened or that happen over time. Uh, in the fall feasts, there are some physical events we can correlate to, which means things that we have written down or recorded in our texts somewhere, or in historical texts outside your Bibles that correlate those particular feasts. However, spiritually speaking, most of those feasts appointed times from God tend to replay. They come back again, meaning that they are, have a spiritual application at one moment in time, but they also have a spiritual one yet again, either in our personal lives or in the lives of humanity. In the case of the fall feasts, most of those physical events, which means things that actually occurred as historical uh, occurrences in time, uh, are lacking. I mean, that there, for example, I'll give you an example. Passover has a historical event. What is a historical event? 
well, it's the Passover going through Exodus, coming out of Exodus. We have a major event that matches the purpose or instruction behind Passover. It is a historical event. We also have the historical event of Messiah's death and resurrection. So we have historical events. We also have spiritual events that correlate with those historical events. The idea of coming out of Egypt and the coming out of sin and transgression and the world and, and, go, and being isolated with the world of God, that is a spiritual event inside a person's life. So you have a physical event that actually record the history. We also have spiritual events that correlate with those, the, the, those, those physical events. So Passover is a great example of that, and it's abundantly written about throughout the entire Tanakh, about the different times they occurred and observed Passover, as well as, of course, the spiritual events that correlate with them. On the other hand, when you go through the fall feasts, in particular trumpets, atonement, and Sukkot, there are fewer, not saying none, but there are fewer physical events that match them, which means there are spiritual meaning behind them. We understand most spiritual meaning, but there are fewer physical events. In the case of uh, Shavuot, for example, we have the historical event that, 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 that is the summer feast, which is frequently called Pentecost. Um, that is the historical event of the ten, giving the Ten Commandments, and of course, the spiritual event of, and historical of the Spirit of God. But it comes for, for trumpets, we have the declaration to use them, to do them, but there is very little historical matching that correlates to it. So it's just, why are we doing it? What's the point? And so we do it, and there's some spiritual meaning, but what does that mean to me? How do, how do I use that or apply that in my own life? And, and what's the purpose behind it? Well, the same thing it matches with the Atonement and Sukkot, Meshuddin, Etzeret. All those are holy days. It's displayed on, on your screen here. Those are holy days that, uh, that have a, 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 an appointment, a time to be there. But we don't have a good explanation for them as far as meaning the explanation. What I mean, explanation, I mean by uh, we don't have a good uh, historical event that matches that particular holiday. And the reason is, it hasn't happened yet. The historical event is not history, it's our future. They're future events. So the fall festivals are future events that are supposed to happen. And that's what we're going to focus on today. In particular, Yom Teruah, the festival trumpets are blasting, the great blast of trumpets. We have to understand the reason for trumpets and how they're used. So we'll start out in the book of Joel. Joseph 2, starting in verse 1 through 17. This is an example of the trumpets and a future event for, that's a future for Joel's time, by the way, uh, and a future event that was supposed to match for us to understand. So Joel 2, starting in verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Jehovah, the day of the Lord, is coming. Surely it is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As the dawn is spread over the mountains, so there was a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will it be again after it, the years of many generations. A fire consumes before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but a desolate wilderness behind them, and nothing at all escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses, so they run. With a noise of chariots, they leap on tops of the mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire consuming the stubble. Like a mighty people arranged for battle, before them the people are all in anguish. All faces turn pale. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like soldiers, and they each march in line. 
nor do they deviate from their paths. They do not crowd each other. They march everyone in his path. When they burst through the defenses, they do not break ranks. They rush upon the city. They rush on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter the windows like a thief. Before them, the earth quakes. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon grow dark and the stars lose their brightness. The Lord utters his voice before his army. Surely his camp is very great. For strong is he who carries out his word. The day of the Lord, Jehovah, is indeed great and very awesome. Who can endure it? Yet even now, declares Jehovah, return to me with all your heart and with fasting and weeping and mourning and rend your heart and not your garments. Now return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. Who knows that he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him? Even a grain offering, a drink offering, the Lord your God, blow a trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the people to sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and nursing infants, let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber. Let the priests and the Lord's ministers weep between the porch, the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Jehovah. Do not make your inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they be, should, should they among the peoples say, where is their God? So this is a, a passage, Joel chapter 2, and Joel chapter 2 obviously has a declaration of trumpets, but what's the purpose we're reading this for the trumpets themselves? Are they, as we mentioned in, uh, when we covered Numbers chapter 10, it had discussed as far as the purpose of trumpets for moving the camps or calling people in or out in order to, for calling them to or from God if he wishes to speak to them. So, for example, the one being blasted long versus the leaders coming compared to two blasts with all the, the assembly comes. So, trumpets are used for different things. In this particular example here for Joel, the purpose apparently appears to be, at least, as we see the, from, the, from the description here, the trumpet itself is a warning or a functionality because for the, for the, for the, for the war that's coming, the, the, the fire, sorry, the... the the fire and destruction that comes from the army that's coming to attack. Now, he is saying here, blow trumpet in Zion. So this appears to be a trumpet or a war, a warning alarm for the Holy Mountain, means for the area around and around Jerusalem. So this is a declaration of an invading army that's coming to Jerusalem. But note the description here, is a, it says the day of the Lord. So this army is being directed by God himself, or at least being influenced or told to do so by God himself. I want to break, uh, make a, a point out to you in Joel's description. It's focused our attention a little bit on verse 10. So verse 10 of Joel's description, this particular army that he's blasting trumpets for, declaring, hey, it's coming, it's coming, beware, uh, repent. Verse 10, it says, Before them the earth quakes, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, the stars do their brightness. Now, this is a common reference or common a, a scripture that also seems to show up in other places. Now, I've mentioned before in years, years have gone by, as we discussed different times when it comes to the Torah portion and also throughout the Bible, generally speaking, the Bible can interpret itself. There are some examples that does not, but generally, if you have a scripture or a reference, and you say, I've heard this before, there's a reason you've heard it before. Go and study what you've heard before and compare the two. In some instances, most of them actually, 
the, the comparison helps flesh out and explain the passages. In this case, we have obviously this physical army coming to destroy that has great tasks or great abilities with it. But we, there's more to it than that because we have these references. To, they're also recorded in other places of a Bible. In particular, the sun, moon, and the stars going darker or losing their brightness has popped up multiple times in our New Testament scriptures. And so we have this, this comparison. Also, by the way, it should have been in the Torah as well. Um, we have, we have, we can, when we have information like that, we can start matching them up. So, okay, compare these and see what they mean. And the Feast of Trumpets, which is what Trumpets is all about, we have these different examples. So uh, I'm not going to read this entire passage, but Matthew 24, of course, comes up with a similar phrase based on a similar kind of event that Joel describes. So we can, after reading Matthew 24, we will see that both Matthew 24 and Joel 2 seem to describe similar type of scenario. That means they're probably talking about the same things. And that's not the only thing going on, but we'll read this as well. So Matthew 24, verse 4 says, And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars, so that you are not frightened. For those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For a nation rises against nation, a kingdom is kingdom, and various places will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many because lawlessness, lawlessness has increased. Most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures the end, he'll be saved. This is the gospel kingdom to be preached in all the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. We're going to pause there for a minute. So eventually for the first 14 verses, or from verse 4 to 14, uh, he is describing particular events as far as the nature of what's going to happen. And he points out that these various events he's discussing are, are not actually uh, a, a, a serious concern. I, I use the term loosely. And that these are just minor events. So we're discussing wars and, and fighting and earthquakes and various events. These are minor stuff. This is, this is the, 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 the insignificant events. Yeah, you'll be hated and you'll be turned over and nations will be right in wars. That's been happening for the past, what, almost ever since nations began, probably 5,000-ish years ago. People have been fighting and warring. So nothing new is there. This is the same old that's always happened. So don't be shocked or surprised by any of it because this is normal. And some say, I'm the Christ. Well, yes, many have said, hey, come with me. I'll, I'll help you. I'll get you out of this problem. We call them politicians. I'll save you. Come to me. So many of them claim to be politicians who will save you or help you or, or make your misery go away. So they're, they're meaningless. Now, I'm using it in cheek when I say politicians, but that's the point. The point is that that is nothing new or nothing strange about it. These are, these are normal events and have been happening for a very, very long time. It points out that the end is not there yet. This is, this, these are just minor stuff. This is insignificant stuff because the gospel has been preached to the whole world. Now, Obviously, in Messiah's time, the gospel was not preached the whole world. Even today, we speak today, for the most part, the gospel's covered the majority of the world. I would be hard-pressed to say all of it. Um, there, is a, there, are, there are pockets that still exist where gospel is prevented from even going into being preached. You cannot bring it there. So it's, it, you, can, you can debate that, but it's really not much of a debate in my mind in that the, 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 
the word of God and the knowledge of the he, that the, the Christian God, the Judeo-Christian God may be aware, maybe knowledge of him is aware. To say it's preached out the whole world today is, yeah, it's close. You could argue it's close enough. And maybe God will just round off. That's, that's, that's the majority of what he's after. I'm not sure. That's his decision, not mine. So in uh, verse 15 of Veteran 4, continues on. Therefore, when you see the abomination desolation, which was spoken to the, to the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee the mountains. Whoever is in the housetop must not go down to get the things that are in his house. Whoever is in the field must not return back to get his cloak. But what are those who are pregnant to those who are nursing in those days? But pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation, which has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days have been cut short, no life would have been saved. For the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then anyone among you says, Behold, there's a Christ, or there he is. Do not believe him, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders. So as mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance, so they say to you, Behold, is the wilderness, do not go out. Behold, is the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just the lightning comes to east to the west, uh, for the east and flashes, uh, comes to the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Stop there for a minute. That was verse 15 to 28. So in Matthew 24, 15 to 28, he guys, describes a greater detail and more extreme, so to speak, events. So the first 14 verses or so are instant ones, and this one seems to gain significance. Uh, these are events that obviously when the whole abomination spoke to the identity of the prophet standing in the holy place, that has happened a few times in Earth's history. Uh, in this particular case, he is warning those who are in Jerusalem, in Judea in particular, flee, which means events, these bad things to speak, are focused their attention upon Jerusalem upon Israel, not upon, I don't know, Los Angeles, not upon Moscow, not upon uh, Washington. It, these, this is Jerusalem. This is centered around Jerusalem. It's, 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 I cannot stress that enough. Most of the, your Tanakh, your Bibles, focus their attention upon Israel and upon the, 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 the descendants of the tribes of Israel and in Jerusalem and the, the physical territory there. The majority of focus is there. There are portions that cover the globe as a whole, but the majority, the vast majority of folks about Israel itself. So most of these events, when he says, get out of Jerusalem, get out of Judea, he literally means get out of Jerusalem and Judea. Go to Syria, go to uh, Lebanon, go to somewhere else that is safer than Judea. You don't want to be there. So he, he, he means exactly what he said. And that's what he means. So that's what we focus our attention upon. So when we focus our world's view about what God's doing, turn your face toward Israel and Jerusalem as one of the primary places to look. And the reason I say that is because there are certain events that are recorded that will affect, according to Zephaniah, Jerusalem in particular. And according, obviously what Joel, we already read, focuses on Jerusalem in particular. The whole dark and the moon and stars and the, and the, and the sun is in Jerusalem. That is what is being described. And Joel describes that event as being caused by the military invasion of Jerusalem. So the military invasion of Jerusalem causes the sun and the moon, the stars to lose their light. It is not like some supernatural uh, a world, you know, astrological event that occurs that, you know, some 
maybe some, I don't know, some eclipse type of thing. We're not to say that. We're talking about Jerusalem itself, that this is what we're discussing. This is what, and the, the army is the cause of that loss of light. So verse 29 to 24 also continues on. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Pause. Now, this is a similar reference to what Joel was talking about. So Joel has a similar phrase in his, in, in his description as far as the sun, the moon, and the stars, that they will, they, that they will not give their light. They will fail in, in their ability to, 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 to show or to shine. Now, I've also mentioned briefly when discussing Joel that the same phrase or same, similar symbols are defined for us in the Torah. So, like I said, the Bible tends to define itself. It doesn't need assistance in that. So we already, we, we will, I won't go there as well. I'll just say what it is right now. It's simple. So the sun, moon, and stars, the Torah defines them as the Jacob uh, and the, 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 the tribes of Israel. So we're discussing Jacob, the tribes of Israel, it is def- predefined as that. Uh, the stars can also include all the des- descendants of Abraham. But when you, when you group them together with the moon, the sun, the stars together as a group, it, decide, it defines and more specifically narrows down to the tribes of Jacob, the tribes of Israel in particular, as opposed to, for example, all the descendants of Abraham, which include Ishmael and include a whole bunch of others, Esau and everybody else. It, it, those are inclusive if you include all the stars. But in this case, it's not just stars. He, he narrows it down to sun, moon, and stars as a grouping. So now we're discussing the tribes of Israel themselves, and it is geared toward them, as the Torah has already defined for us. This is, of course, verse 30. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Now, this is a, 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 a paraphrasing or rephrasing, I should say. Oh, this isn't, but the other one was. First uh, Thessalonians, that, in chapter 3, that Jeff had read, it's also rephrased or similarly phrased in First Corinthians, I think it's 15, I think it is, uh, discusses similarly that this trumpet, this, 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 great, this great long-lasting, one, the, the, this great trumpet, which refers to the last one, which means if you have seven trumpets, there are seven trumpets, the last one, trumpet number seven, uh, that is the one that he's referring to here. That means the previous six, one, two, three, four, five, six, <laughs> have already taken place. Um, so we're going through the, the, those trumpets today. And of course, then they get gathered together. This is the reference that the Thessalonians as well as First Corinthians talk about. So we're go all of these, uh, this is just other stuff. All right. So this same phrase that came from Joel and Matthew also repeats itself in Revelation 6 and Revelation 8. So now we have a proof, so to speak, or a Torah-defined events. They're all correlate. We have Torah-defined events, or Torah, I should use Torah, I should Tanakh-defined events. Uh, correlate, then you have a point in time which you can hang your hat on. So, okay, this is, these are specific events that are supposed to match. Now, in Matthew, uh, there was additional information that he gave as far as when you see these various events take place. It's as it's, it's take note or pay attention to them. He likens it to the fig tree, the fig tree that drops its figs. So you, when you, or he likens it to when you see the, 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 the blossoms coming out, the figs coming out, you know, summer is near and take, be aware, be prepared. While Revelations uses, 
plays off of his phrase of the fig tree and connects to Joel. So, so Revelation 6 connects to the fig tree from Matthew 24, the, the trumpets, the, the army of destruction from Joel, and the sun and moon and stars all come together in Revelation 6, which correlates to the sixth seal. So seal number six. So most of these events that Joel refers to appear to focus their attention around seal number six. Mind you, not necessarily trumpet six. Could be trumpet six, but seal number six is, is, the, is the majority of it. Verse 12 of Revelation 6. I looked when he broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair and the whole moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. Stop. Now this, of course, is matches or appears to match uh, Messiah's uh, description in Matthew 24. But what I want to bring out to your attention here is for the great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and the moon became blood, which darkens it. The stars fell to the earth. Um, that's also repeated or reused in Joel. So it's very possible that the Revelation 6, the sixth seal, and Joel and Matthew 24 are all discussing the same type of event. But Joel explains to us that the cause of the sun and the moon and the stars to fail is caused by the army itself. Does that make sense? So an invading army is the cause of the sun and the moon, the stars to fail, according to the prophet Joel. Uh, Messiah doesn't give us the reason, per se. And this just, the, the Revelation says, a great earthquake. Well, if Revelation 6 is a great earthquake, appears to be an associated to the sun and moon and stars becoming blackened or darkened or non-functional. And Joel says the army causes it. It begs the question, is this great earthquake the army that Joel refers to? It's possible. See on verse 14. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it was rolled up and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. The kings, the earth, the great men, the commanders, the rich, the strong, and every slave, every free man hid themselves in caves among the rocks, the mountains. They said to the mountains and the rocks, fall upon us and hide us from the presence of him who sits at the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for, great is, for the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand. This is a similar fear description that is described with Joel chapter 2, as far as the nature of the reaction of the people. Not that this is the cave part, but the fact that the, the presence of the Lord is now seen. Uh-oh, the day has come. So we have Joel 2, Matthew 24, and Revelation 6 seem to describe a similar event. Revelations 8, trumpet 6 also describes a similar type of event. So to ask ourselves, uh, in the nature of, of, of the prophecies and what we're watching for, I think I don't think I recorded Matthew, the rest of Matthew 24. Maybe I did. I don't think I passed, pasted it in. I'll have to go manually read Matthew 24 out on your script. So let's go back to Matthew 24. The latter half of 24 discusses more information. I apologize. I didn't paste it into my little spiel here. Um, let's see here. Uh, the parable of the fig tree. Let's read verse, back to 24, verse uh, 32, because we had stopped on verse 31. 21-32, it says, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branches become tender and puts forth leaves, you know the summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the very doors. Or should I say to you, this generation will no means pass away until all these things are fulfilled. 
Heaven and earth pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Matthew 24, verses 32 to 35, which I apologize for not uh, pacing it here in my little, uh, my, my presentation. So in this description here, we said that the objective of him telling us all these events is for us to see them. We watch them. And when we see them, then we know what's happening. When we see armies, when we surrounding Jerusalem, when we see great wars and great things and terrible things happening and the destruction of the area. Now, those of you who live here in California, uh, in particular in the, the fire struck areas, you know what it looks like when the sun turns black. <laughs> those fires made our sun turn black uh, and the moon turn dark red. So we know what that looks like. And the stars of our sky uh, appeared some of them appeared red or just none at all. You couldn't see them. Most of them, you couldn't see them. So we know what that looks like. A destructive force that is a massive fire can cause precisely the description being described here uh, in, in Matthew 24 and, and Joel 2. In this, in Revelation 6, when it discusses mountains and islands being moved to other places, it is totally possible this is strictly a physical uh, phenomenon that occurs. I personally do not, do not agree with that philosophy, but it could be strictly looked as a literal event that uh, literally uh, sackcloth made of hair will cover the sun and the moon will be blood or look like blood. Well, actually it says became blood, so it becomes blood and the stars fall. I am not a subscriber to the revelations being strictly literal. I do accept that there are literal components, so you're wrong. But I think a lot of relations happens to be spiritual, not strictly literal. And that's generally what I teach. So in this instance, Revelation six, uh, the sixth seal, I I teach this is this is it can be partially literal, but it is also dominantly spiritual. So the kings, the earth, and great men, being commanders and rich and strong, slave and free, hide themselves. Think that is true. Whether or not they will hide themselves in caves and rocks. I can't say that necessarily because caves of rocks don't actually hide you per se. They, they, they crumble the ground in earthquakes. So they may choose to do that. Uh, but the nature of caves and rocks and mountains and the, the, the destructive power is also a spiritual component as well. Because the mountains in our Bibles are described as kingdoms. So mountains are also nations or powers of nations. So we have a great mountain, a great power, a great kingdom. So I can also hide myself, not necessarily amongst caves or rocks, I hide myself amongst nations that I think will protect me, also known as mountains. So I think that they are stronger than me. So fall upon me, hide me, great nation, that will hide me from the presence of the one who sits on the throne. That is also a legitimate interpretation because the Bible also describes nations as great mountains. You can read the book of Daniel for that if you're double-checking. So it is also possible that these are physical, but as well as spiritual events. Hopefully that makes sense so far because we're going to move a little faster now. We just discussed the nature of, uh, of, of connecting these, Trump, these passages together that seem to match with the seals. But there's more to the seals. Uh, in the seals themselves, they continue on as far as these great armies and other things taking place. Um, and as far as the stars, sun, and moon, matching the, the nature of, um, of uh, Jacob and his sons and the, the different people that are, that, are, that, are, that, are, that are descendants of Jacob, as well as Abraham himself. 
being symbolic of those events, then you could also argue or say, well, if those sun, moon, and stars and the, the become dark, I can also equally state that means the descendants of Jacob, in particular the tribes, die. They're killed. And it would be a legitimate example. Not 100% killed, but they are being killed. And that would can be consistent with Joel chapter 2. The army that is invaded is causing destruction and killing and, and, and wiping people out. So it is a fair assessment that those sun, moon, and stars the Torah defines as being descendants of Abraham and in particular descendants of Jacob. Descendants of Jacob are the recipients of this destructive power. Um, and, and it makes sense because God says he cleans his house first before he's going to clean the rest of the world. So straighten up his, his own people first, get them standing up straight, then we'll take on and take out the rest of the planet. So it's, it's consistent. It makes sense. Now, but this is not a feast of seals, feast of trumpets. So we're going to discuss in our, hey, those of you who have shofars, you're, all my kids are now eating their lunches right now. Uh, we have our shofars. We have our first shofar, first trumpet blast. So the first trumpet, um, it, it, this is, we're not going to discuss all the, the nature of the, the different, sa- the different uh, seals, the seven seals and such. We're going to go a little faster than that. And the, the different prayers. The first trumpet sounds. So this is trumpet number one. This is recording Revelation chapter eight, uh, verse seven. It records the first trumpet. So those of you who have trumpets or have shofars and you're still awake, go ahead and blast them. So for example, our first, our first, uh, uh, our first trumpet that, that, that is uh, being described. You can hear it? Okay. Hey, here, go for it. <laughs> so that's our first. There it goes. Yep. Keep it up. All of it blasting the trumpets. So it's the first sound of your first trumpet. If we have the opportunity, we'll do, we'll do all of them if we can. If we go read through this really quickly. I think you got to unmute everybody. Oh, yeah. Did you unmute everybody? Yeah, you have to unmute yourselves. You're careful. <laughs> Unmuted. So uh, let's see here. So, trumpet number one. This Revelation is eight. Ready? Verse seven. You go again. We're having fun. Um, the first sound, first trumpet sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood. They were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Oh that sounds so pretty. His sounds so nice, huh? So the first trumpet is the is is a is a a, a hail and fire mixture. Before, when you read something in your Bibles and you say, Hey, I've heard that before, it's done on purpose. <laughs> so, I've heard this story before. Have you heard of hail and fire mixed, mixed with blood, or not in this sense, blood, but hail and fire coming down the earth and destroying and killing things? Yes, yes you've heard it in Passover story, <laughs> right? Yes. We, we've been there before. <laughs> so in Exodus chapter 9, we've heard a similar event. Not identical, mind you, but fairly similar. And also involves grass. So in Numbers, but Exodus 9 discusses one of, the, one of the, the plagues of Egypt. 
It records here Exodus 9, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning, stand before Pharaoh, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on your heart and your servants and your people, so that you may know there is no one like me in all the earth. For if by now I had put forth by hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would then have been cut off from the earth. Stop there for a minute. That's actually a very similar phrase that Messiah said if, 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 in verse 24. If God doesn't narrow or slow down or, or reduce down the time period, no one would survive. So God's warning the same thing here back in Exodus. Verse 16. But indeed, for this reason, I have allowed you to remain in order to show you my power in order to proclaim my name to all the earth. Still, you exalt yourself against my people, not letting them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I was in the very great heavy hail, such as not been seen in Egypt from the day it was found until now. Now, therefore, send, bring your livestock and whatever you have in the field to safety. Every man and beast that has found the field that is not brought home when the hail comes down on them will die. And the one among the servants of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord made his servants and his livestock flee into the houses. But he who paid no regard to the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Now the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand from the sky that hail may fall upon the land of Egypt on man and beast, and on every plant of the field of the earth, or the field throughout the land of Egypt. Moses stretched out his staff to the sky, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail in the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very severe. So it has not been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck all those in the field, both throughout the land of Egypt, both men and beast. The hail also struck every plant of field and shattered every tree field. Only the land of Goshen, where the sons of Israel were, there was no hail. Then Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is the righteous one, and I and my people are the wicked ones. Make supplication to the Lord, for there is not for there's been enough of God's thunder and hail, and I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I go out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no hail, so that you may know the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, know that you will not that you do not yet fear the Lord God. Now the flax and the barley were ruined, and the barley was in the ear, and the fox was in the bud. But the wheat and spelt were not ruined, for they ripened late. So Moses went out of the city for the Pharaoh, and spread out his hands to the Lord, and thunder and the hail ceased, and rain no longer poured upon the earth. And a lot of reading. Now this story, note that there are distinct similarities and connections to Revelation, the first trump, or yeah, the first, uh, sorry, first, first trumpet here, that lists these things out. In that uh, the first of it lists uh, hail, fire, and blood. What is blood according to our Tanakh, according to God? Blood is life. The life is in the blood, as the Torah says. So we have, as it here, here at Exodus, hail and fire come down and kill beasts and man. They're taking lives. So the hail in Exodus is taking the life of man and beast in the field. So you have blood on the hands of the hail, so to speak, use the hands figuratively. The, the hails mixed it with blood and it is killing men and women, men and, and, women and, and, and animals that are living things and mixing blood with them. So we have the, 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 the plague, this plague matches in very similarity, similar forms of the first trumpet. And also hail destroys the trees and the barley and the flax. Barley and flax 
are grass. So if we go back to Exodus, the first bit, it said, the first sound in verse 7 of, of, of uh, Revelation 8, verse, the first sound, and there came hail fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and the third of the earth was burned up, so it was destroyed. A third of the trees, which also match, that matches what the, the, the Exodus was, burned up, and all the green grass was burned up that destroys the green grass that also matches Exodus. So we have a similarity, similar symbols being reused from Exodus in that particular, uh, uh, the first trumpet and this Exodus plague. But the objective I'll bring up to your attention is what is the reason for the Exodus plague? The reason Exodus plague is recorded for us in Exodus as the reason for it. And if we can, like I said before, the Bible tends to interpret itself. So if you have a reason for one of them, it is most likely the same or similar reason for the other. In this case, verse 14 of Exodus 13, it says, For this I will send all plagues on your heart, on your servants, your people, so that you may know there is no one like me in all the earth. So this plague of hail is directed toward Pharaoh's heart, his inner being, his core of what he is as a human being and, 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 and the, the representation he is. But it also says there's, there's, there's additional to not just his heart. But it also says that, verse 17, but still you exalt yourself against the people by not letting them go. So his heart, this, this hail is directed to his inner heart and his weakness, the reason was his inner heart is that he is exalting himself above or over God's people. And of course, the, those who feared the Lord, verse 20, mind you, fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Those who feared the Lord, uh, the, the, the servants of the fear of the Lord, they brought their livestock in, but those who did not fear the Lord paid no attention to theirs out. So we have, if we, since we have the explanation for the hail in Exodus, the, the reason the objective of God was, was after is that he was destroyed their heart, with their inner being, and because they exalt themselves over God's people, then if we say, okay, if that's the case in Exodus, and that was a tool God used to do it, he destroyed the the, the people, he destroyed many of the trees, most of the trees, as well as the grass in Exodus. And we can say, okay, well, if I, if I understand that from Exodus, that was the same thing as going to be for Revelation, which has this birth, earth being damaged, the third of the trees, the grass being burned up, fire and hail, mixed blood. That means whoever's being the recipient of the first trumpet has the same or similar problem that the Pharaoh had. These things being affected by the first trumpet are, is the heart of the individual, is attacking the heart of these group of people, whoever the people happen to be. And they are exalting themselves over God or over God's people. So trumpet number one seems to focus attention against those, the, 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 your core being of a person, and we'll discuss what that actually is because our, our Bibles define that too, what the core being is. Um, uh, the person, mind you, I said the core being of any person, the core being of these individuals regarding to Pharaoh and kings and things of the nature, what their core being is, um, more, more specifically. So it affects them and because they have exalted themselves above of or over God or the people of God. So it's good to know that that's what the objective is for trumpet number one. So that's what it's going to focus attention on. Um, the core being, which did I record that down here? Maybe I did. Uh, okay. Uh, sort of. 
So core being, when it comes to grass and what grass can be, of course, obviously blood and trees and grass determine what everyone is. And it's possible that blood and trees and grass refer to other things. Now, in Revelation 8, it says that one-third or so, roughly, of the trees, these things burned up, these things being damaged, the loss of, hay, of, of life and such. But I have a question for you. You want to answer, just think about it. Uh, a tree. In our Bibles, our Messiah, as well as the prophets, discussed this topic, that trees, uh, is a tree that produces fruit, a good tree, meaning a righteous person, or a bad tree? meaning an unrighteous person. The symbolism of a tree producing fruit is usually associated with or attached to righteous individuals. So if I was going to say, symbolically speaking, not, not literally, but symbolically speaking, this hail is focused on those trees. Now, as uh, John the Baptist pointed out, those who produce no fruit will be chopped down and burned up. I think Messiah is the same thing uh, when he withered the, withered the, the fig tree. But so it's possible the trees themselves are more focused or the, the, the symbolism on the trumpet is focused on the people, individual humans. There's also more to it though. Isaiah 40 is able to explain a bit to us. It says Isaiah 40 verses five through eight explains what the grass is in the trumpet story. So Isaiah 40 verse five through eight says, the Lord will, re- will be revealed that all flesh see together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice call, says, call out. And the answer is, what shall I call out? All flesh, also all flesh is grass, and all, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Sure, the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So in this explanation, Isaiah 40, it tells us what the reference to both Exodus as well as revelations that the, the first trumpet refers to. So what's being burned up with the grass? Flesh. Flesh being burned up. So trumpet number one refers to people. And they're the ones being attacked. Now, Isaiah 40 is a great blessed chapter, in my opinion, because it comes immediately after Isaiah 39. Isaiah 39 it helps explain the context of Isaiah 40. Isaiah 39, which I didn't paste here in the display, is a chapter that discusses when King Hezekiah spent all of his great effort displaying his wealth, the things he trusted in, to the Babylonian uh, uh, emissaries. It shows all the great things they saw in the temple, all the great wealth he has, because King Hezekiah was demonstrating their great power. Look at this great stuff we have. And then Isaiah points out to him for 39, it's all going to be taken away. It will all be taken and carried away and you will have nothing. You'll be destroyed and wiped out in, the, in this respect, but not in your lifetime, it'll be in your, in your children's lifetime. So Isaiah 39, Isaiah explains to Hezekiah, what you did was wrong. You are trusting in your wealth to save you. Isaiah 40 comes along, all flesh will be this damaged or destroyed with suffering from this, from this, conquering that's going to take out what he spoke of Isaiah 39. This wealth can be taken away. It'll be removed and, 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 and cast away. So in a manner of speaking, both Pharaoh and Hezekiah experienced a similar event in that what they trusted in, grass or food, um, as well as uh, the, 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 the supplies they had, 
were all being destroyed. Pharaoh's, all of his animals, his livestock, and his grass with barley and flax were being wiped out. So their food and was being destroyed. Their people uh, were being destroyed and killed. And the trumpets, people, apparently grass refers to people. So people are being destroyed and killed in trumpet number one. So your, your, your wealth and what you're trusting, the people themselves are what's being damaged in trumpet number one. So number one is, it's, I'm not saying it can't physically be uh, like, like, you know, fire coming down and burning stuff. We're not discussing that. Yes, it can be literal because mind you, something that is literal, it has to be spiritual too. If trumpet number one occurs, we have trumpet number two. So children, grab your shofars. We have trumpet number two to blast away. Jelly don't lose your, yeah, don't lose your shofars, guys. You can do any. Peace trumpets are supposed to be fun. So the second trumpet. This would work for you. Trumpet number two. This is a Revelation, Revelation chapter 8, verse 8 through 9. It says, The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea became blood, and the third of the creatures were in the sea, and life had died. A third of the ships were destroyed. All right, trumpet number two. This is a simple one. I like this trumpet because it's easy to explain. So um, trumpet number two is probably one of the simplest ones. There are, there are to, to explain and, and, and tear apart, uh, to identify. So in this case, that, that something like a great mountain burning with fire. This is easy. Think about it, guys. A great mountain burning with fire. Where in your Bibles have you heard of a burning mountain? Hmm. Think about it. this. is a hard one. A burning mountain. Great fire. Huh. Huh. Yeah. It's called Mount Sinai, where the Ten Commandments were brought. So when we have the trumpet number two, uh, something like a great fi- mountain burning with fire, associate, okay, now we have the hand of God. This is God's presence, so to speak. This is the word of God as we're discussing because this is recorded in our Torah of exactly what it is, a great mountain of fire. Now this says it was thrown into the sea and a third scene became blood. Now think about that. Where have I heard of water turning to blood before? This is a hard one. Think about this one. <laughs> this may be difficult, but I think it was called the Nile River, right? We heard this too, where, where Moses struck the Nile River and it, water turns to blood. So we have the, the, the power of God, in this case, the, the great commands, because the great mountain is so, burning mountain is associated with the, with the Ten Commandments, the Torah itself, the Word of God, the instructions for life, it being thrown into the sea, which is water, of course, the sea is what is, is, is splits for the, the sea being split for the Red Sea and such, and various other examples of the sea. We'll discuss that in a, little, in, in a minute. Becomes blood, and of course, in the Nile River, it became blood and the fish died. Most of the creatures in, in the Nile River died because of the blood, they couldn't, they couldn't survive. And of course, also we have, we have the late die. Also, the, the third of the ships were destroyed. Now, in the case of ships, uh, fortunately for us, Ezekiel 27, I'm not going to discover, I'm not going to read it right now. Ezekiel 27 tells us what ships means. So the symbol of ships refers to wealth and prosperity. So you can read Ezekiel 27 if you wish to, it's fine. Uh, Revelations 18, verse 17, also the exact same thing. 
Ships refers to wealth and prosperity. So we have the great burning mountain means the, 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 the words of God, the instructions for God on how to live. The axe in the sea, the sea became from what is life and turns into dead or blood, turns into blood, because all these great, great, great ships are, are sailing upon it. It is their power and their strength. The ships, their power and strength is in the money they bring in. They're merchant ships. This is what makes them wealthy, as Ezekiel 27 points out to. It is the emergence. It is the, it is the, the prosperity that's being destroyed. So in this case, the Taurus commanding, the great mountain commanding, that the, the power of these ships, their, 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 their money-making ability is being wiped away. So what they trust in. Now, mind you, that is a similar type of event that occurred with, what we already read, or we talked about, was Isaiah 39 about Ezekiel. Ezekiel trusted in his money. And God says, I'm going to take it all away. So in this case, we also have your money being taken away. It's being destroyed or your ability to earn it is being destroyed. Or at least a third of it is being destroyed. And of course, at the great mountain burning, which is, of course, similar to the, 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 the commandment of God or the words of God being come down. Now, I want to bring out to your attention to you how much of our world financial system would collapse in its fashion if we followed God's instructions to the Torah it would change quite radically. Uh, every seventh day, it shuts down. <laughs> every holiday, it shuts down. Other essential, very, very essential things, uh, like, like, like life and you know, you know, maybe doctors, that kind of thing for, for injuries. Everything else is, is turned off. Uh, every seventh year, your crops are, sh- are, are, are you, you don't plant, you don't grow anything. God's economic system could easily wipe out a third of our, of, of our financial system. So the power of God can do a lot of things. In this case, he focuses attention upon the sea. Now, the sea in Ezekiel is also helpful. The sea, he points out, is, 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 the, is, is supposed to be the, the, the source or a source of, of, of secrets or life itself. So it's going to affect the life of these creatures. Now, I'm not going to go into the nature of what all the creatures are for the sea. However, in the Nile, as we mentioned before, when it turns to blood, the creatures... This, this appears fairly literal. So these creatures actually died in the Nile River turning to blood. It is very possible that the death, this water being damaged by God is also very literal. I say very literal means he may actually cause some physical disruption that occurs or affects the sea. I am not referring to the oceans, mind you. I'm referring to the sea. The sea and the ocean are not the same thing. Oceans like, you know, Pacific Ocean, you know, the fifth, big five oceans yeah, that, that, that exist. The sea, well, the Mediterranean Sea. Yes, Jeff, your, 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 uh, your hand is up. So what you're saying is that the world is in denial. <laughs> yes, the world's in denial. Thank you. <laughs> so in this case, the Mediterranean Sea is the, the, the physical thing that is closest example. And Ezekiel, I believe it's, I forgot what Shepherd is, all discuss the Mediterranean Sea. Now, Zephaniah is helpful in that Zephaniah explains that this most destructive events of the, of, of the trumpets themselves appear to focus their attention around Israel, around the area and region of Jerusalem. So being the Mediterranean, I think I misspelled that, Mediterranean, uh, Mediterranean Sea, it, was, it is, is most like that sea that's being talked about in this event. So the merchants, the prosperity that are happening in John's time when he's recording Revelation, the Mediterranean Sea is still the most important sea that anyone ever knows or cares about. Well, others know about other seas, but 
This was the most important one that affects Jerusalem and Israel. Zephaniah also supports that theory that it is focused its attention upon the Mediterranean Sea and the area around it. Much like the Nile River affected Egypt, this, this, this sea chain of blood is going to affect Jerusalem and Israel, which would be the Mediterranean Sea, would affect them the most. And it strikes the course at the power of the merchant ships. So in this instance, trumpet number two appears for the word of God or God's word, God's the one doing this. It's his, his mountain of the wilderness, his words, his, his burning mountain that's actually causing this particular event to occur. So trumpet number two, that is what we're looking at at, that, at, at that, those instances. What's affecting the Mediterranean Sea in that area that's damaging the power of merchants or businesses to succeed and be prosperous. Then after number two, which was very simple, we go to trumpet number three. So grab your sofas again, children. We have our trumpet number three to blast and sound. Unmute yourself if you wish to. Trumpet number three. Number three. Go for it. Ready? My speakers in. <laughs> Number three. The third angel sounded. This is Revelation chapter eight, verse ten through eleven. The third angel sounded, and great star fell from heaven, burning like the torch. It fell upon the third of the rivers and the, the springs of water. The star, the name of the star, was called Wormwood, and the third of the waters became wormwood. And many men died from waters because they were made bitter. This trumpet is also easy to explain. It's actually one of the simpler ones too, because our Torah defines it for us. I great, I, I, it's, 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 a, it's a blessing to have the Bible define itself. It makes my life a lot easier. So trumpet number three, it was just this, this, this star from heaven falling down and wormwood. Now we have mentioned before the stars have generally, when, when they're associated with the star, sun, and moon together are associated to the tribes. But this case, note, it does not have the sun and moon grouped into this particular star. This one is the angel sound and a great star filament. There is no sun, there's no moon, it's a star. Therefore, this star does not correlate to the tribes of Israel. This is all by itself. So star by itself can mean an individual person or can be associated with a, a spirit or, or being of some form. Because all the sins of Abraham are likened to the stars of heaven. So this could be an individual doing this or, 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 or a theory or a, a theology or a spirit doing it. It's hard to say because it says it's from heaven and implies it is a spirit doing this. So a great star implies a spirit of some form, most likely. Burning like a torch, which is very bright, fell a third of rivers and the springs of water. The star name was called Wormwood. Now, I, I am greatly blessed in that our Torah is so happily defines what Wormwood is because it makes my life really easy. Fortune Wormwood is a pre-established, defined symbol in the Torah. Deuteronomy 29. I hit Deuteronomy 29. I could just jump there real quick. I don't think I pasted it here in my spiel. Let's see. Deuteronomy 29. Uh, that's too far. Deuteronomy 29, verse 16, defines Wormwood for us. Verse 16 through 21. It says, for you know that we dwelt in the land of, uh, land of Egypt. <clears throat> this is, by the way, this is a, a, the, the, the middle of, or toward the end of, of Moses' address to all the people of, of Israel before he dies. Uh, we lived in Egypt and that we came through the nations which you passed by. And you saw their abominations, their idols, which were among them, wood and stone, silver and gold. 
So they may not be among you, among you, man or woman or family or tribe, whose hearts turns away today from Jehovah our God and go serve the gods of these nations. And that there may not be among you a root bearing bitterness or wormwood, so that it may, may not happen when he hears the words of this curse and that he bless himself in his heart saying, I shall have peace even though I walk in the imaginations of my heart as though, as though, as though the, the drunk could be with the sober. The, the Lord would not spare him for then the anger of the, of the Lord and his jealousy would burn against that man and every curse that is written in this book would settle on him and the Lord would not blow, blot, sorry, would blot out his name under heaven. And the Lord would separate him from all the tribes of Israel for adversity according to all the curse, the covenant, that are written in this book of the law. So in this case, Wormwood is greatly is predefined for us. It is the person or individual theology or belief that uh, they can follow, can be good with God or right with God, yet not follow him, not obey or follow his instructions on how to live or worship him in the manner he wishes was worshiped. So in this case, this star that's poisoning the waters, mind you, all waters is how we survive. We all need water to survive. And in particular, this is rivers and, water and springs. We're not talking salt water. We're talking drinkable water. It's called wormwood. It's poisoning men. It's not poison necessarily for, 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 for you know, oh, this tastes bad, but it is within them, their life being damaged. Yes, uh, Rose, go ahead. Yeah, uh, Tom Horn has written a book called Wormwood. And he is saying that there is a comet, I, I believe it's a comet, that's due to uh, enter our atmosphere in 2028. And mm-hmm. uh, if they do not deflect it, it will land uh, at the bottom of California into Mexico. And it could destroy a, a great uh, amount of things. And so science uh, is trying to, uh, right now, is. NASA or whoever is working on a plan to try to blow it out away from our uh, gravitational pull of our Earth. They're Could working be. on it right now. Could be that that I don't know. I don't I don't study uh, astronomy too much, so I, I'm not I'm not familiar with it. In this case, the spiritual form of wormwood is the philosophy that I don't have to follow God, yet I'm good with Him, meaning He's happy with me. So this is, we, 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 this is commonly used or still done today in the form of uh, the laws being done away with. It's the, the same theological teaching uh, in that uh, the, the, God, the laws that God lists the Torah do not necessarily have to apply to me or they don't, they don't apply anymore. Uh, Jeremiah 9 also points a similar thing. It says where wormwood is connected to, to not following God's laws. So the idea of Wormwood is the abandonment of the instructions that God said how you will live. Uh, and now that's, 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 that was in Jeremiah 9, verses 12 through 16. And Jeremiah also reiterates again in 23, Jeremiah 23, verses 9 to 17, it says, Wormwood, he connects that to teaching and prophesying falsely so that men will not return to God's laws. I misspelled the word prophesying. Uh, anyway. So, so it, it both both connects Wormwood and Jeremiah. He he pulls or uses Deuteronomy's definition of the idea of I don't need to follow God's instructions on how to live, and God will be happy with me. He's pointing out both Deuteronomy says this and Jeremiah says this. This is false teaching. 
God will not be happy with you. Do not follow his instruction on how to live. And Proverbs 5, which I happen to like because it uses symbolism again. Uh, Proverbs 5, adultery is, its end is wormwood. Now note, the worshiping of the gods is also in the prophets discussed as spiritual adultery. So everything that, when, you, when, we, when we do something that is against God's instructions, whether it is his way of how we live or how we worship him, he attaches that concept to wormwood. It is poisonous and result in, as chapter number three we read, many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. So this results in your death or men's death. So the abandonment of the instruction how to live, wormwood, poisons you and you will then die. Poisons, you, poisons your heart and mind and spirit in two as well. But that whole point is that that is what the, the symbolism behind it. I'm not saying physically that some rock or, 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 or comet won't cause damage too. I'm referring to the spiritual definitions being discussed here, not the literal ones. There may also be some literal thing that falls down and causes the, 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 clean, the rivers and waters being damaged, but uh, I find it a little difficult to do that without also damaging other stuff too, because typically great large objects hitting the earth tend to kill a lot of things, not just water. But I can't speak to that exactly because I'm not sure, sure what, what the reasons are as far as whether a physical manifestation could occur. But I do know the spiritual one is quite alive and well today. Wormwood is probably one of, if not the most dominant philosophy that covers our planet and all of men. That I don't have to follow God's instructions on how to live. I'm good with him. He's good with me. And it's a false, false teaching, a false way of life. And then after chapter number three comes chapter number four. So you grab your shofars again. Yep, get off, off, off your feet, on your feet again. With trumpet number four to hear trumpet number four and go ahead and blast for trumpet number four. You took your your, your earphones off because <laughs> <laughs> the mic could hear. I put it right output from their phones from their from their from their, from their, uh, their uh, shofars. Oh, I'll lose your. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I make sure you guys can hear it really really well. Um, so, chapter number four. The fourth angel sounded. How much time I have left? Uh, I'm running a lot of time. For then you sounded a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and the third of the stars were struck. So the third of them would be darkened. And, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way for a third of it. And I looked and heard an eagle flying in mid heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth, because remaining blasts of trumpet and the three angels were about to sound. Now, before you dig in too deep in this one, note we discussed the whole idea of the sun and the moon and the stars before. They show up in the Torah, they showed up in seal number six, and they show up also, also in seal, obviously here in trumpets. They also show up in Book of Joel. So we have all these repetitions of this symbol. But in this case, I want you to focus on these examples. Note that they're attached to something else. It's this thing called a day and a night. So in, thank you. in this instance, the sun, earth, sorry, the sun, moon, and stars are attached to their function. Note, the sun rules the day, the moon, and the stars rule the night. A third of the day you can't, you can't see. A third of the night you can't see. This is not 
connected or as as readily connected to as, as the Torah shows with uh, Jacob and the tribes of Israel because here we actually have time. Time is attached here. While time being attached here, these are physical events. There's actual a, a, a physical occurrence. Something, something associated with time. Now we can we can just we can debate what that means. Is he referring to the day meaning and 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 the night meaning appointed times, seasons being damaged or being not being understood? I I don't think so. But that's just you could argue that. Um, or, or or what's going on here? But a third of it or a third of it in the day and the night would not cannot be seen. That means there two thirds can be. So you see through the day for two-thirds of the time, but not one-third of the time. The night, two-thirds of the night, you can see okay, but one-third you can't. So this is a strange event if you try to apply it to a global type of thing, but it would not be strange if you apply it to a local type of thing. So a local thing could be in this fashion. But I want to bring your attention to understand what this could mean, in particular the spiritual meaning, is this animal. An eagle flying in the midst of heaven. That helps explain what the rest of the stuff probably spiritually means. Have any of you heard in your Bibles, God used the term, I carried you on eagle's wings? Those of you who've read the Bible, you've probably heard that phrase. I carried you on eagle's wings. What is that God, what does he use that phrase for? It's a descriptive phrase referred to how he carried Israel out of Egypt, out of the world, out of, out of misery, on eagle's wings and brought it to, to his safety place in the, course, in, the, in, the, in the wilderness, to his mountain. So we're dealing now, if we have this eagle popping up, and since God has already defined what the eagle means, it is, a, it is an animal that, that, that takes those who are in an unsafe place to, the, to a safer place. Safe is obviously subjective to how you define safe because you know the, the wilderness wasn't all that great either but um anyway that's the eagles are supposed to do in god's definition now in this case though look what the eagle is doing the eagle here isn't carrying anything the eagle here is speaking it's a loud voice whoa 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 to those who dwell on the earth because the remaining blast of trumpet of the three angels were about to sound this is a fascinating turn of events. Eagle that's supposed to carry people to safety isn't. Eagle that's supposed to uh, uh, gather together God's people and, and, and remove them from the misery and difficulty and struggles and, and hardship and slavery and, and all isn't. What's it doing? It's just telling you, guess what? Get ready. There's more to come. Now, that's a fascinating point. Why is, what does that mean? So let's apply this eagle flying back up here. The sun, moon, third, and stars. Uh, if, if sun, moon, and stars also, as the other symbols, apply consistently with the Torah, the sun, the moon, and the stars refer to the tribes of Israel, that they bring struck, a third of them would be darkened, can't see, and would outside and they would not shine for a third of it, and night the same way. Um, have you heard the uh, Psalms about, oh, the day would come, 
that my, my night is miserable or, or, or the prophets point out that when the, when the day comes, say, Oh, that, 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 that I would rather the night come because I'm miserable in my day. When the night comes, I'd rather the day come because I'm miserable in my night. The prophets discuss this topic. The, the term of being miserable or unhappy or darkened in day and night has a prophetic statement that you are in fear or in misery or upset at a difficult situation you cannot survive. You're not sure if you'll live. So if I apply the eagle that's supposed to carry people to safety isn't, and the people who are the sun, the moon, and the stars are fearing or dreading, they're in the darkness of the day, in the dark, in the third of the night, they're miserable too. That would imply that the eagle that was supposed to carry people, and mind you, the people, the chief people of Israel, the sun, moon, and the stars, was the care which it did back in Exodus, the sun, moon, and the stars, it carried them, the people, to safety. It's not carrying them to safety. This eagle isn't carrying the sun, the moon, and the stars. It's not carrying them on eagle's wings like it does, like God said it's supposed to do. It's not doing that task. Instead, it's warning those, hey guys, I'm not carrying you away. Guess what? Get ready for what's going to come. There's more to it. Now, I personally, this is Daniel H.'s opinion, mind you. Most, well, not, by the way, my presentation is not all my opinion. <laughs> this is a, 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 a compilation of multiple authors who discuss these topics. Uh, this, this, I'm just, I'm shoving them together. So when I inject my personal opinion, I'll tell you. Right now, this is my personal opinion. So my personal opinion is, listen, I didn't read this or, or to study that from anybody else, um, is that this eagle who is not carrying people to safety, and we expect it to, but it's not, and the sun, moon, the stars were struck, that we, we were darkened and cannot shine for a third, a third of the day, a third of the night. I, personal opinion, a third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, a third of the people of God, a third of the tribes of Israel, a third of those who hope and trust that God will save them, they aren't being saved. They aren't being carried away. I'm not saying two-thirds are. I don't think any of them are. Like none of them are. Uh, that's my opinion. Is that have you ever heard of the concept of the rapture? How many Christians would be shocked if it didn't happen? Yes, Jeff, your comment. One thing I, I find uh, quite quite intriguing about this is a uh, passage from Zechariah chapter 13, starting in verse 7. Is it, you know, it says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man, my associate, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep may be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. And it will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish, and a third part will be left in it. And I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver, is refined and test them as gold is tested and they will call upon my name and I will answer them. And I will say, they are my people and they will say, my God. And then continuing on into chapter 14, uh, talks about this destruction that's coming on down upon Yerushalayim. And, you know, they, um, this looks like a house of safety yet becomes a house of judgment. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a great, it's just good, quite, quite, quite intriguing because it's talking about a place of safety that actually becomes a place of judgment, place of and judgment. talking about about two thirds and one third. 
Exactly. That's a, that's a great passage. I, I didn't even catch that before. I, that's a great passage. So that, 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 would, that would help explain what's going on here. The place which we associate as safe, as the eagle's wings, as God says, this is your safety, this is the best I'm going to save, isn't saving you. It's not your area of, of, of fleeing place that is a good thing for you. So again, this, this again, is my opinion on this one, but I'm inclined to think those who think they're going to find safety didn't find safety, meaning before they didn't find being spared or, separate or, or, or isolated out or not having to go through all these miserable events. And I, I personally seriously question the, 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 the theology of this whole rapture idea in that, oh, well, I'll just, I'll, well, some things I'll spell will start and then I'll be, I'll just be watching it like a movie screen up in heaven. And what would that affect and how would that affect the number of the people who believe in God and trust him if that event doesn't occur? It sets them up for failure is what it does. It does. It doesn't. And it hurts their faith, their trust. And so the night becomes scary. The day becomes scary. Everything becomes scary. There is no goodness in it. And that's, that's my opinion. Um, and and I, I can't say for certain it's right, but that's how I view it because this, this, this trumpet number four, if I'll be honest with you, if the world is going through and trumpet number four shows up and we're going through this stuff, what are the Christians who are dead set believers in the rapture going to be thinking if it didn't happen? Would they even say there is a God? That God doesn't love me? I, I didn't, I, I, what, where is their hope? I don't know what they'd be thinking. Honestly, I don't know what I would be thinking. I'm not, I'm not a rapturist, but the point is that this would be a difficult thing to go through. I'm not, I'm not, gonna, I'm, I'm not joking. This is, this is not an easy event. I mentioned before, I, I personally believe, as Zephaniah and, 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 and Joel pointed out, and Messiah pointed out, most of the stuff centers around Israel and Jerusalem regarding these trumpets. Now, mind you, I'm not referring to the, the bold judgments. Those are not Israel. I'm for the trumpets. There's a difference between the seven bowls versus the seven trumpets. So don't confuse them. The bowls are a bigger scope, larger category of events. So in my opinion, that's what I think is going on here in this story, which Zechariah 13, that's a great passage. That it helps, actually helps reiterate that there's, there's more, there's darker things happening and believing that the eagle God will take you and carry you away or fly you or give you some protection into his home and his safety isn't. It's not a place of safety. That's a great passage, Jeff. Thank you. Zechariah 13. I'll write that in my notes to remember that. So, trumpet number five. Blast them up again, guys. <laughs> It's great having kids <laughs> or in Jeff's case, being a kid yourself. It's all good. <laughs> Same with Don. <laughs> all right. So chapter number five, Revelations nine. I won't, yeah, I'm going to have time to go through in great detail in the last, the last three chapters. We'll do, I'll do it quickly as I can. Okay. That's holy. I shouldn't rush. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Revelations nine. Uh, this is first, the first 12 verses. Uh, then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. 
Oh, stop the minute. By the way, uh, verse one, this is where I got the philosophy or we get the philosophy that the other star from heaven that uh, was also an angel because this star from heaven is given a key. <laughs> so they're clearly beings, not necessarily uh, uh, you know, physical you know, rocks to say that fall. Anyway, uh, verse two, he opened the bottomless pit and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth and power was given to them as the scorpions of the heaven... Uh, of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass, the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment them for five months. And the torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die and death, long to die and death flees from them. The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. Uh, And on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold and their faces like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of women Uh, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the sound of their wings like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. They have tails like scorpions and stings, and stings, and in their tails uh, is their power to hurt men for five months. They have as a king over them the angel of the abyss. His name is in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he has named Apollyon. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. Okay, so this one, uh, there's a few symbols here that we can examine, but some symbols are not easily examined by people like me. There are smart people out there who've examined them better than I have, but I can't understand all of them. But this one, there's certain things I can understand, which is easy, and I'll, I can explain that to you. Uh, first of all, the bottomless pit. We all know Hebrew has a predefined term, bottomless pit. In Hebrew, what is bottomless pit? Any guesses? It's called the pit that never is filled. What is never filled? The grave. So grave can never be filled. You can dig the hole and you put as many dead into it. Guess what? It is never, ever, ever full. As long as something is alive, it can die. So the bottomless pit in Hebrew is a, is a, is a euphemism or a paraphrasing. It's another phrase for the grave. So in this case, it just sounded the, the key to the grave was given to him. The key to death is given to him. And so that's, that's where the bottomless pit is, re, is referenced to. As far as the smoke and a great furnace, and, 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 and again, the course, sun's being darkened again, the smoke. And this one, note the sun here uh, does not include the moon nor the stars. So we're not going to associate this symbol of sun with the tribes of Israel because they're all three to be combined together to make the Torah definition work. If anything is separate or missing, it doesn't work. So in this case, we have the moon and stars are missing. So in this case, the sun is not the symbolic of anything, is probably. Literally, or something simply like the sun, as in the sun is dark, you can't see it. Because uh, it also includes the air. <laughs> and this was dark by, by smoke from the pit, smoke from death. So, whatever is causing great death or causing death is blocking the sun and, and darkening the air, making it difficult to breathe. Now, the idea of locusts coming out of the earth, where have you heard locusts coming and destroying stuff? Any guesses? <laughs> yeah. We're up again. So in this case, the plague number eight, or yeah, plague number eight in Exodus chapter 10, 
this gospel is locust. Now, this is interesting. The locusts in chapter 10 are not like the ones spoken of here. They, they, they have their, their swarming ability, but what they're told to do is the opposite. So, I didn't copy the Exodus 10 down, but Exodus 10, it says, uh, we read this, it says, Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of servants that I, that I may show these signs of mine before him. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son of the mighty things I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am Yehovah. Stop there for a minute. So the first two verses of, of Exodus 10 explains the purpose of the locusts. Okay? <laughs> What's the purpose? So that we would tell our sons and tell our descendants what happened. So the purpose of the locusts is to for story effect. It's for shock value. <laughs> we would remember that this is a major thing. Uh, verse three. So Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh and said to him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else if you refuse to let my people go, behold, I will bring locusts into your territory and they shall cover the face of the earth so that no one will be able to see the earth and they will eat the residue of what is left which remains to you from the hail and they shall eat every green every tree, sorry, which grows up for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses, the houses of all your servants, and the houses of all your Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your father's fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And as he turned and went out from Pharaoh, the Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go so we serve the Lord their God. And do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? Pause. So the worry of the locust, the fact, again, Pharaoh has not humbled himself and God's going to do a shock value event because it's designed to tell your kids this story. It's a major one about the locusts and they're going to destroy and consume all that is green and destroy that is left. That is a purpose. Now, note Pharaoh's advisors, what have they noted? Even there in the middle of this trials of these plagues, they said, wait a minute, stop, hold it. We quit. We're done. We're losing. We can't win. So Pharaoh's advisors are, are seeing this, but clearly in the trumpets that we're viewing here, the people there have not seen it. In this case, the people here are still, in chapter 5, they're still of the mentality that they, that they will survive. They'll make it. They'll succeed. They're not ready to give in as Pharaoh's servants were giving in. So we have a weakening in Pharaoh's case of the servants, but in chapter 5, they're not weakened. People are still resiliently resisting, which is impressive as far as shows you that the strength of, of, of a human's you know, ability to, to self-deceive themselves. But the point is, being, at this point in trumpet number five, the people have not relented. But in play number eight, Pharaoh's servants are beginning to relent. They're, they're caving. So this is too much for us. We have to quit. But number five, they're not quitting. So it shows you the, the hardness of their heart. Now, this is where it changes. In uh, chapter 10 of, uh, of Exodus, with the, the locusts, what do they eat? They eat green stuff. They eat the trees. They eat the grass. They didn't know it was green. In chapter 5, they don't. Chapter 5, they don't eat green stuff. They're attacking people. They're attacking men. So this locust play that comes up that's similar to or associated with the eighth, the eighth plague from Egypt it's doing something very, very different. Trumpet, the trumpet playing, the trumpet uh, locusts that are coming out are not attacking plants. They're not attacking what we consume. They're attacking us. These are man-eating locusts, so to speak. They don't actually eat you. But the point is that they're consuming and they're strong of men, of people. 
So Terminator 5, it's the same effect of locusts coming, but they are doing something very, very different. Now, I'm not going to go in to what these look like. I says the whole, uh, you know, the, the appearance and the horses and the, the scorpion, the crowns. Well, I, I'm not going to pretend to understand that. So you can interpret as you wish, which is fine. But I do want to point out to you, though, these locusts, as it says, they're not permitted to kill anyone, but just torment men. And men will seek death and they will not find it because death is hiding from them. That was verse 5 and 6 of uh, Revelation 9. So in this case, these locusts are not killers in that fashion, but they are damaging. I have a question for you. Think about this for a minute. This, by, by the way, this question gets answered um, by Ezekiel. But this, by imposing it to you, just remember, because it, it, it comes up again for, uh, for Yom Tru, uh, Yom, you know, Day of Atonement, uh, Yom Kippur. Uh, it's tormenting men. If I have a, an animal or an insect, or whatever, that goes off, like pretend, pretend I'm in the middle of a swarm of bees or whatever. Do the bees care whether or not I'm a good person or a bad person? No. I'm in the middle of a swarm and they sting you because you get out of my way. So, but in these cases, this particular locust, they seem to have the ability to distinguish between those who have the seal of God their head and those who don't. Now, the uh, Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, it discusses the seal of God, what that is and how it looks and how you get it and how you don't get it. And so, so we'll discuss that at that time in greater detail. But because uh, that's, that, that's it's designed for day of atonement when, when you get that seal when it, when it's set aside was put upon you. So in this case, we have these these locusts are not just any ordinary insect that, that can do stuff. These, for whatever reason, have the ability to distinguish what is God and what is not God's. I do not know how. I do not know if God is it has his people. You know, maybe they're maybe these locusts are attacking a group of individuals that his people have already been left. The whole idea of coming out of come out of for my people, maybe that has already occurred. I do not know, but either way, this particular locusts have uh, they're 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 ugly in the description here. But mind you, also remember that we're viewing in the Book of Revelation the story of how God sees objects. As note, we've already discussed, he seems to see people as grass. We don't see people's grass. We look outside and see, yeah, I see grass. It's green. It needs watering or it's yellow because it, it, it's dying or whatever. That's how we see grass. But God sees men, humans as grass. So when we're looking at God through God's viewpoint, it may look like something that we may not recognize. And John is trying his best to describe in human terms what he's seeing, but it may not necessarily be what it, necessar- what, what, what it is. It could be something different or something appear different. Um, I do want to point out again, the Hebrew definition of Abaddon, the, 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 the king over them, the, what, the angel that rules over them, is the one who's in charge of the grave. So these animals or these insects, these things, they are designed to cause harm, to desire death or create death or have death. Uh, but of course, they're not giving it. So in my opinion, a lot of this trumpet seems to be a little bit more on the literal side in the form of something it has the ability to do this. Uh, I don't know what it is. I'm not going to pretend to know what it is. But either way, I want the seal of God on my forehead, at verse 4 says, so I don't have to suffer it. I may be around to watch it, but I don't want to suffer it. Uh, see, we have trumpet number... Let's see, where is it? Six. Uh, let's see here. About, oh, but, sorry, before we get there, I, I apologize. I, I will bring up the, the seal of God's forehead on, on your forehead from the seal of God. It says, Ezekiel points out, it, is, it goes upon those people who mourn and sigh in their souls and out loud because of the Torahless 
men and behaviors that rule the earth. So Ezekiel will discuss that in more great, great detail on atonement, but that's the intent behind it. So when you see the world around you and you sigh and mourn and pray, God, this is awful. We've got to do something, help this, but it's beyond your ability to help. That's the type of person that God says, yeah, I want that person. They're mine. Not those that say, yay, look at this. We're finally going to destroy and kill. Those are not the ones God wants. So we'll discuss more great detail on how to get that sign on God on your forehead uh, later. Um, that's not, not for today's discussion. So we have trumpet number six. Again, just show far as again to get everybody ready and blast for trumpet number six. All right. <laughs> So, chapter number six, this is also Revelation chapter nine, verse 13. It says, The sixth angel sounded. I heard a voice in the four, four, four horns of the golden altar, which before God, one saying, The sixth angel with the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound to the great river Euphrates. The four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, and the month, the year were released so they could, would kill a third of mankind. And the number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And this is how I saw the vision of the horses and those who sat upon them. The riders had breastplates, the color of fire and hasinth and brimstone. And the heads of horses were like the heads of lions out of their mouths, proceeded to fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues and by fire, the smoke and the brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouths. Stop. So the three plagues you're referring to here, fire is one of the plagues, smoke is one of the plagues, and bristles of the plagues, which is kind of interesting. Uh, verse 19. For the power of the horses in their mouth and their tails, their tails are like serpents and, and have heads, and with, the, and with them they do harm. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues and did not repent of the works of their hands, so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and silver and of brass and stone of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk, and they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor their morality, nor of their thefts. <clears throat> so, chapter number six. When we go through this, one, obviously we have events here, and we have name, place names of the river Euphrates, and we have people themselves actually being killed. So, these symbols here are really straightforward. They're fairly literal. When you have something that has literally a man, he says a third of mankind, we're not trees and, and grass and, and whatnot, we're not actual humans. And the horsemen, which is, I'm not sure what horsemen are today, I know what they were then. Today you could argue what a horseman looks like. Some say it's, you know, you know tanks and such, I don't really know. Um, that's their opinion. Uh, that, those, are, those are actual events or real things. So in this case, the sixth angel sounds, and this is the, the four horns of golden altar. Stop. <laughs> Golden altar, four horns, golden altar. We know what that is. Those of you who read the, who've read the Torah know what the golden altar is. What's the golden altar? That's the incense altar. That's the one which all the prayers go up on. That's what Moses. So, with the four horns, the golden altar. Now we know who we're discussing. We're discussing the prayers of saints. This is the most valuable of all the altars God has has ever had. So, the golden altar is the important one. So when we say the 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 the, the, the voice, the golden four horns, the voice of these prayers, the response. So if you've been praying and you've been discussing, God fix this, help me, take care of this. As we discuss in chapter uh, chapter number five, 
which we'll discuss again in a day of atonement, about the, 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 it's designed for those who mourn and pray and complain about the lawlessness, the torlessness, the evil behaviors, the immoral immorality that has permeated the world around them, and they can't fix it, but they know it's wrong. They just don't know how to, how to fix it. They need God to fix it for them. Those are the ones that are praying. So when you have incense being offered up, incense equals prayer. It's the incense that's being responded to. So those individuals who got the seal of God on their forehead or on the hands, or the forehead and hands, uh, from God because they are the mourners and they are the, 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 the those who complain about the destructiveness of mankind. This four horns, the voice is responding to those prayers. It's saying, "Okay, now's the time. Let's fix this." So these people who've been praying, complaining about the misery of mankind, of how awful this place is, and the and the abandonment of everything that is holy. And how awful this turned out to being. Now in chapter six, their prayers get answered. And what is the answer? They release the four angels are bound to the Euphrates, and this massive army of two hundred million soldiers or horsemen armies come through to cause massive destruction. That's the answer. That is a hard, bitter answer. I'm being honest with you. When I love someone and they are torlessness and they're, they're, they're evil, my, my goal, my desire is for them to change their behavior. That's what I want. Stop acting that way. Improve your behavior. It's not my desire to kill them. I'm an adult. I'm not a child. But the point is, I grew up. Children, I'm going to kill them. <laughs> but children, a lot of crazy stuff. But, but adults, we grow up. In this instance, God's saying, no, uh, you're not going to change these individuals. What's going to change them? A war, a very harsh war. So in this case, the great river Euphrates, again, as mentioned before, most of these trumpets, actually all of them, focus their attention upon Israel and Jerusalem, not the globe. If you want to know what happens to the globe, go with the bold judgments. Then later on, this is Jerusalem, this is Israel. This is the tribes of Israel that they focus upon. So when you use river Euphrates, we're actually referring to the river Euphrates. Not uh, you know Mississippi. <laughs> We're talking about uh, place places that are there that affect them and there, which Zephaniah reiterates. It is a there and then place. It happens then at that time. Joel says the same thing. So I'm not going to go through the nature again, just like the 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 the, the locusts, as far as what these things look like. There's obviously uh, a destructive ability inside the, this, this this army or these these things they've got. Well, do I bring a little bit of attention? I mentioned briefly the three plagues that kill people is the fire, smoke, and brimstone, <clears throat> uh, which shoot out their mouths. So the tools they're using uh, are not like we think of like bullets and such. This is these are destructive type of uh, explosive type of things because uh, fire, smoke, and brim, brimstone is is is, is, is we we. we Brimstone is what we, we would consider brimstone like bombs, things that blow up. Uh, that's what brimstone is classified as. So fire is damaging, obviously smoke is, the, is the, 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 the smoke or the damage that comes from those things. So these are the things that, they, that this particular army uses to cause this destruction. I want to bring up a strange point, though, that is brought up, is consistent throughout your entire Bibles, is that the issue here seems to be the complaint, the issues of people worshiping idols and demons and stone and wood. That was both the Torah as well as the prophets. And today we look at that and we laugh. We chuckle. How dumb is that? We don't worship stone and silver and golden brass idols. Uh, we know better than that. We know that's all. That they may be statues. Look, we, 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 we chuckle at such foolishness. So this, we would say, well, this doesn't apply to me. We don't, this doesn't apply to modern day mankind. We don't do this garbage anymore. 
we, 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 it, it's been long since gotten rid of. Uh, that's a false statement. Um, all this stuff is actually stronger today than it has ever been um, in the form of not referring to physical objects of gold or silver or brass or stone and wood. We worship, we worship ourselves. We worship our own power and strength. We worship what we think a God is, which is the mentality or the viewpoint that we are the ones who are in charge, not God. Uh, this, this, these are our idols. These are the individuals that cannot see, hear, walk, or, or, or do anything. Because our, us ourselves, we are as the stone. Our hearts are as stone. We cannot see, we cannot hear, we cannot walk, we cannot do anything. We are our own idols. So these idols today are very, very strong today. They are us. We worship them still. And of course, as we mentioned before, which again at, at uh, Atonement, uh, regards to those who complain about the lawlessness, the torlessness, the immorality, those, the, those are the ones that God says, yeah, I, I like that person. Well, in this case, we have this, again, these are the ones who do not repent from their murders, sorcerers, or, or immoral behavior or their thefts. So these are things we're still active today and in stronger today than it probably has ever been in history, in my opinion. Granted, I wasn't alive a thousand years ago, but in my opinion, these are still very, very strong. Maybe they always have been. But that's how I view them. This one, again, appears a little bit more literal because you have physical locations listed. You have uh, man being actually called mankind. So this, this trumpet number six most likely is a fairly literal event. So the 200 million men, uh, there probably is going to be some very large army associated within the Middle East area that will cause or be part of this event. Um, I can't explain who they are. I'm not going to pretend to, uh, but that's apparently that's how they are. So I mentioned before uh, the description being used here that John's using. It's it is he, he is describing what he sees. He's looking through God's eyes. So he's using in descriptive terms the weaponry that exists at his time to try to describe what they are. I don't know what they are today or what they would be if he saw something today. What he what words he used to describe them? People have long since determined that he must be describing helicopters and such and 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 tanks. I don't know. Maybe he is. Maybe he's not. But whatever it is, God views them as those things. He views whatever this stuff is as these fire destructive contraptions. And then we have our seventh trumpet. So we grab your seventh trumpet together. We we'll blast number seven together. Everybody, blast your trumpets. Go for it. All right, chapter number seven, verse 15, the seventh, wow, I'm really late. The seventh angel sounded and their loud voice in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become a kingdom of our Lord and his Christ who will reign forever and ever. And 24 elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, O Lord God Almighty, who are and who were because you have taken your great power, have begun to reign. The nations were enraged and your wrath came and time, and the time came for the dead to be judged and time to be and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets, the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and great, destroyed, and those who destroyed, and destroyed those who destroyed the earth. <sighs> okay, so this one is the great last trumpet, as Jeff uh, read from First Thessalonians earlier today, as well as it recorded in in, in First Corinthians. Uh, just dropped my shofar. Oops, uh, fell off. <laughs> uh, uh, so this is the last trumpet. This is the one that Messiah was pointing out in Matthew 24, 
that the last in that last trumpet you will hear and then then you will see the son of man son of man coming and this is what you will see and he will call his people for all corners of the earth Matthew 24 that's this one number seven so number seven comes along and all these the twenty four elders the the, the 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 loud voice they declare God is now in charge meaning he has finally cleaned up his house that's important he's finally now cleaned up his house Israel the tribes they're not clean. It's not over. But he's now cleaned up. This is a time for judgment for those small and great. The saints in particular. Now we already know there's a first and second resurrection. This one has describes here to reward, to reward uh, to be judged, to reward your bond servants, the prophets, the saints, those who fear your name, small and great, and destroy those who destroy the earth. So this is the time for your first resurrection popping up. This is trumpet number seven. This is the last trump, the important one that we all are striving to follow. This is, another, this is it. This is what we're looking for. This is the last trump, the one that's the loudest, the longest blowing one. This, is, this, this event happens and then we get our bowl judgments and the beasts from the sea and, the, and all the other characters that come up in the book of Revelation that comes up after chapter nine. So this is the one that we're looking for. This is what our objective is. When C says, hey, uh, when you see the, fi- the, the, the figs are ripe, you see this, the blossom of the fig tree, you know, summer's near, be aware this is the timing. So watch for this stuff so that you're ready. Matthew 24 says, you better be ready at any given moment. Matthew 24 points out that the servant that God leaves in charge, he's leaving you in charge. And when he comes, you're not going to know when he's going to pop up but you better be doing exactly what he told you to do. So when he shows up, you're ready and he brings you. So this is the one the Messiah is, ta- is talking about. Uh, that This is the objective. So in Messiah's viewpoint, Matthew 24, the vast majority of it is the, the, all the seals and through trumpet number six. And then he says, then uh, you will see, you, I will, he will call his people together those who, for, for time, for, for, for judgment, for, for, for those who have, who have died. But Matthew 24, it doesn't end there. There's more stuff that happens. But the Revelation story tells us more happens. The prophets tell us more happens. Note the prophets, main uh, prophecy when it comes to talk about, about uh, uh, end times discussions, their goal is to tell you and prepare you for trumpet number seven. They are not, the prophets in your Bible are not expecting you to read their text, anticipating that you're going to be living through the bold judgments. All the prophets, all the, 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 the apostles, their goal is for getting you and I to trumpet number seven. <laughs> that is our objective. That is our goal, our, 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 our purpose. That's why we do what we do. Our trumpet number seven is what we want. The bold judgments, I have no desire to live through. Read them. They're not pleasant. <laughs> I don't want to live through them. Meaning, I don't want to be dead, but I want to be in God's hand at this point. This is a good place to be. Protect that point. I'm not saying I won't live through the bold judgments. That's God's decision. The point is that I want to make to number seven and that, okay, yes, God, now let's discuss what I've done right, what I did wrong, and what I can do to fix and change my life and how I can do it. So this is the goal. This is our objective. It's trip number seven. Our objective is not bowl number seven. The bowl judgments, I, I want to be already taken care of by the time those things show up. 
as trumpets have mentioned before, multiple times the prophets reiterate this, these trumpets are all focused upon the tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel, actually 13 technically, the tribes of Israel, that's their objective. That is their direction. That is their, their goal in life to get the 12 tribes of Israel straightened up and ready, cleaned up and ready to work. It's not for the other nations that are not part of the other 70 or 69 other nations that exist. Well, there's actually more. There's, I, I forgot there's, there's a lot of different countries today. I forgot all the names. But anyway, there's a whole bunch of them, um, not including Chaz. That's a different you know, country. <laughs> but I don't include that one. But the rest of them, uh, I don't want to be in those in dealing with the bold judgments, having observed and seen what God has done to his own household in the trumpet judgments. I wouldn't want to be in the bold judgments knowing that that's what they went through. Crud. What's in, what's in store for me? If I want to store you, well, there's Sukkot and the bold judgment. So you can study them at those seven days and, and enjoy the nations being judged at that time, which is a, a bigger scope event, and, uh, which is good. Don't get me wrong. Uh, the, 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 it is important for Sukkot, but the bold judgments are more applicable in the, covering all the 70 nations which correlates or corresponds to the Sukkot holiday event. So I'm a bit out of time. I'm way out of time. Uh, but this one is called The Last Trump, which is recorded in First Corinthians 15 as well as Thessalonians 3. Now, I'm not, I don't know the exact timing. I'll be honest with you. Uh, when it comes to Bible and events, it's really difficult to, to know timing of events. So I can't say when during the seventh trumpet, because a lot of things start happening at that point on, when this whole uh, a resurrection thing or the calling God's people happens, whether it's very early on or later on, I don't really know, but it's in this, the, 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 this trumpet event, these things occur. So whatever they are, they come into a fashion. And what I want to bring your attention to in this trumpet is have you ever heard of the two witnesses that are recorded in Book of Revelations? There's something very unique about them. Now, I didn't copy the, I didn't paste it in my presentation here. A lot of things I didn't paste. I should work on that better. Um, it records that they prophesy and they have, they're, they're around with like the beast and the dragon and other stuff that we do weird stuff, right? But they're killed by, I think the beast kills or the dragon kills. I forget which one kills them. One of the, the beast, the dragon, one of the two kills them. And the witnesses are, their dead bodies are left there for three days. Then they're resurrected and brought to heaven. So in my personal viewpoint, this is Daniel Ajay speaking, is that if they die and are resurrected in three days, there's a good probability their deaths are occurring after or about the same time, I think after, when God has already selected or called his people in the seventh trumpet. I mean, the resurrection of the first, the first resurrection. Because at the first resurrection, I believe it will probably return to what it was supposed to be like with Adam and Eve. When you die, you're dead for a few days and you, you, you are resurrected. That's my personal theological opinion. You don't have to agree with me. It's fine. That's how I believe it was probably intended that when you died, you would die for a short period of time, not for forever or not for until resurrection, you know, thousands of years later. But it was intended that when you passed away, you'd be resurrected shortly thereafter as opposed to what we experience today. That's my personal opinion, my personal belief. Um, and now in the case of this one, so the, 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 the two witnesses appear to experience that event. They seem to experience the resurrection of the dead shortly after death, which I think is what God intended 
for his righteous individuals, those who followed him. When they died, they would not stay dead. They would be resurrected shortly after that. That's why God probably intended it to be, but it didn't work out the way because of Adam and Eve. Thanks so much for both of them. Um, anyway, so it didn't turn out that, that, that happiness, but that's my opinion. But in this instance, whatever, whatever your belief is, these two get resurrected from the dead three days later. So they're experiencing a, a resurrection, so to speak, in part of this grouping being collected uh, during, or during this seventh trumpet blast. So my opinion, that's probably what's going to happen too amongst those who, who perish or are killed in God's, in God's name. I meaning not that God killed them, but rather they're followers of God and they're killed because they follow God, um, that they'll be resurrected in, in a similar fashion to witnesses do. But that's my, how I personally uh, view it uh, because they're, they're obviously they're on the scene uh, and, and, and and they 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 are the actually in in uh, the during the sixth trumpet, but they actually pop up, but they're resurrected. So, my opinion that's about the time period when it occurs. Uh, you don't have to agree with me on that. That's fine. I'm not going to go through the rest of Revelation because it's way too much and involved, and it is more applicably applied, in my opinion, to Sukkot and and other things that occur at that time period. But these, this is your overview of the seven trumpets. For the Feast of Trumpets, um, as I mentioned, to be started out here, trumpets are used for a lot of things. They're used, obviously, for calling people together call it, and, and warning people uh, as far as when there's a great army coming, a great destruction coming. And in these cases, when it comes to these seven trumpets, you can see there's a heavy mixture of great armies and destruction coming. So I imagine these are the short blast trumpets, that type of sound, uh, that these are the warning sounds, that, 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 hey, guys, bad things are happening. But the seventh trumpet, however, as is Jewish tradition, has always been the long, slow blast. The longer the note you hold, the better it always was, according to, to, to the, 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 um, the sages wrote it in the, I'm, but the names I've completely sc- escaped me. The uh, writings of all the rabbis. No, let's talk. It's the... Uh, Talmud, thank you. <laughs> and the Talmud, as far as discussed, the objective was the longer the blast was, the better it was. So they tried to make the seventh trumpet as long as possible, which that's always been Jewish tradition, or has been at least, I should always. It's been as far as the Talmud's concerned, it's a Jewish tradition for a long time. As opposed to the other blasts, the other trumpets were not supposed to be long ones. They're supposed to be short warning blasts. Which makes sense. You look at trumpet you know, one through six, it's destruction. It's misery. It's hardness. It's warning and scary. Torah 7, it's praise. It's glory. It's happiness. It's, hey, it's now time. Uh, you, 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 your wrath has already come. You, you, you crushed and did, made destruction. It already happens. And now it's time to say, okay, everybody, as Joel 2 points out, after God's done, maybe he'll leave a blessing behind. A blessing of grain offering and a feast offering that you can offer to your God. So, and Joel points out at the end of all this stuff, you want the blessing. And God says, and Joel points out, that's what he's going to do. So at the end of your correction, Jerusalem, O Israel, you will receive the blessing that comes afterward, which is the offering to God. In this case, the offering to God would be the people themselves who are being selected and saying, God saying, I will receive them. Hopefully this makes sense. I know it was a really, really, really long um, in what I just covered today. And it was fairly shallow. But hopefully it made a little bit of sense of what the, the purpose of it is and the, why we celebrate the Feast of Trumpets. There's a lot more to this, but I don't have time to cover today. 
Almighty God, our great Father, thank you for our Feast of Trumpets, our time to worship and to praise and to study and to listen and to, and to follow and inspire us, Father, to, to do what is right in your eyes. For you are the one who sees, and we just try to understand. The world around us looks simple and yet complex and frustrating and confusing. And our minds do our best to try to make sense of all of it, and we don't do it very well. But Father, you see it clearly. We ask you will help us to see it clearly. And when you call us, Father, may we hear your voice. We hear the words go out of your mouth. And we follow you wherever it leads, whether it be through something that is scary or not. Help us to trust you, for you are in charge. Your voice is good. Your words are good. Though they may be hard at the world we see around us, even for us to experience, we know why we do that. Because as you said, your way is life. Choose life. Help us, Father, to choose life. We praise you and ask your blessing, Father, upon all of us and upon the rest of our time together and our praise of you. In Yeshua's name, amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O, halal dot info. Halal.info.